0: Hello and welcome to Do The Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Matthias. And I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I are scribes from an ancient era, but we've forgotten our alphabet.
1: Exactly. So we are issuing a challenge. Each week you sit down. Your goal is to write a complete short story using three of four randomly
0: generated words. Then uh, we come on the podcast, we read a story, we talk about what we learned in reading it, and then we talk about stories sent in by you listeners.
1: hmm We're simply here to help you do the right thing. A Doof, a doof Media, media pro production. production.
0: I got a sad lamp.
1: Ooh, a sad
0: lamp. So is that a yeah. lamp that makes you sadder? No, no. It's uh, It stands for Seasonal Affective Depression Lamp. Mm, okay. Uh, and uh, not that I have a Seasonal Affective Depression, it's just that if, you know... I'm staring at a at a at a black wall, and it absorbs all the, a lot of light mm. a, all day. Uh, and then a the laptop, and so I just I've turned into uh, a cave creature, a hermit. And and the being a cave creature is not super great mm-hmm. for your happiness. See the documentary The Hobbit um, for <laughs> <Yeah>. further <laughs> for further information on that. Um, and this blasts um, some sunlight at 10,000 lux. I don't know what that is, but it's advertised on the package. Wait, 10,000 ten, ten
1: lux, v- lux?
0: Lux. L-U-X. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's apparently happy beams. Okay. So, <laughs> beams of happiness. Uh, I can only tell you it's it's been mildly effective. I think I was slightly more energetic yesterday. Okay. I think today I'm very tired, mm. but... Um, I nearly fell asleep on the floor a second ago but it's fine we are we are trucking we are rolling we, we are, are going <laughs> and we are recording a podcast
1: oh isn't it crazy that our world is actively burning right now
0: oh i I find that
1: pretty hot actually yeah it is burning literally and metaphorically because oh my god have y'all seen that debate that's
0: uh, I don't want to talk about it <laughs> what you don't want to talk about the downfall of democracy you don't want to
1: get political undo this the is, right thing wouldn't that be the right thing this is the fall
0: this is the fall of the republic right here mm. it's it's a happening and we don't even have a caesar we've got a fucking I, I, name me name me a dumb roman a dumb roman guy <laughs> a dumb roman Just, guy. that's that's what we got what's the is is there like a jester kind of guy in uh in caesar in in shakespeare's caesar mm. whoever that is there that's, is that's, not that's, i would say currently. that the closest is there like a dog would be in Brutus. There, maybe no it's not pff, psh, psh brutus is an honorable man (laughs) don't you remember that that's a whole betrayed his best friend no because brutus is an honorable man and he wouldn't Mm,
1: he doesn't you're right and our president lacks honor he does every possible
0: he just bullied he bullied our other candidate on stage oh Bol- god the fact that i have to complain about that and is so... he's doing it about his son who had a very hey, hard-fought battle with addiction to inter- international listeners how are how are y'all doing are y'all having a good time are you finding this as funny as because it's it's really it's really funny yeah oh, it's really um, funny and uh, also
1: for all of our uh viewers that are overseas uh, what is the price of a apartment in one of your metropolitan we were wondering. Areas? We were
0: wondering, we were thinking about how it's impossible to uh, start living in the United States if you're on minimum wage mm-hmm. uh, and not getting a ton of help. Um, And how you can't even pay rent off of a minimum wage unless you have two jobs. And even then, you can't really do much else other than pay your bills and live. Which is
1: why uh, living here, you definitely need a roommate or some other breadwinner within the uh, household.
0: Yeah, my roommates are my breadwinners. That's what they, that's what mine are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you live with your it's rough dog uh, mm,
1: yeah i know i mean being being back home like i love my family through and through but uh i can only do a minimum of a month before i want to physically disappear uh
0: <laughs> i prefer to spiritually disappear that's my my go-to mm,
1: yeah i mean it's uh, uh it's like really good about uh being a being a guy in the 21st century because uh we just need yeah, to I don't know about that anymore we just need to turn our feelings off you know turn them off you don't need yeah. them they're yeah they're they're only going to stop you from getting stronger physically all you need to worry about is uh how how much gains you do have and uh if you have a job that is seven figures anything less and you're not actually a man by definition
0: yeah 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 that's why jave bezos's bald head is like the epitome of male (laughs) (laughs) male performance it's just pristine you know there's something comforting about looking at like an extremely rich person and being like ah yes you will also suffer from the same physical problem that i have and you cannot recover because de- for some reason science hasn't discovered how to do anything with hair which is crazy it's really fascinating yeah is not isn't that wild you think they could just like you know slot some extra hairs in there or something well i mean really no. i
1: i think we should normalize men having weaves because that that's would, a good idea that would fix a lot of problems because okay, it really would think of think of jeff bezos rich rich jeff bezos but with a beautiful jerry curl you know, if,
0: if that happened, I, I think I would be okay with capitalism. I think that's a worthy, I think I would switch over, i switch sides. Mm. I'd be like, look at that luscious. You know what we should bring back? What? The 18th century, like, big wigs. Like, oh, yeah. The uh, big curly wigs. The uh,
1: powdered wigs. Yeah. We should bring that back. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that was like some, some serious fucking drip. It was a move. And then though. also, it, it was crazy because the bigger and more and more powdery looked, your, your yeah. like, wig
0: was, the more clout the you sexier have. you are, yeah. and, look, look, like, and, and we can we can modernize it. We can bring it to the twenty first century and just put some LEDs in there. Oh yo. so like a neo <laughs> uh, cyberpunk powdered wig, yeah, or, or at least like fairy lights or something. Yeah, I think so. I I, I would wear that.
1: And I, I mean, also, if you like think about it, someone like Thomas Jefferson was a known womanizer, PJ. but he was yeah. ugly. Super. Was he? Uh, yes, he was. Huh. Because, well, I mean, in every I mean, D in the pictures oh, I
0: don't know about that.
1: Okay, well, he was on the lower level of beauty during well, that time. Well, just being period. a
0: man. I guess so. Yeah, men aren't really <laughs> aesthetically pleasing. I searched uh, TJ and it did not come up with Thomas Jefferson. Let me try again. TJ? Oh, they're
1: uh, thinking
0: about uh, Justin Timberlake. He's not that bad looking. He's a little lumpy, but that's because he's old. He
1: he isn't that bad looking, but think. He got there not because of his looks, but because of his money, clout, and those, An cra- and those crazy powder wigs, bro. Also, you know, he did have like some serious cheekage. I mean, you know, he was he was he was <laughs> clapping all the way through Parliament. I mean,
0: that's 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 the thing he's most famous for his, um, his fat, it's ass. his cheeks <laughs> being the third president of the United States, and then the slavery bit. But it's fine. So this is a writing podcast, <laughs> uh, and uh, so we do a lot of writing here. Do the right thing, um, we like to, we like to warm up a little bit. That was a creative writing exercise. I, I was actually writing that. I was typing that what? out the whole time uh with my with my right hand oh uh, i have one of those gamer keyboards you know that's like the whole keyboard within like reach of one hand oh yeah yeah does it like light up oh it lights up it's uh lighting up um um uh, infrared
1: did uh-huh. you know that this episode is is episode 78 uh huh. That's crazy. And the words for this week are merchant,
0: parachute, garlic, and expression. That was the smoothest transition I've ever heard in my life, Jarvis. Thank you, thank you. I've been thinking about that all day. So as we spoke last week, I think we did this last week, where we talked about tension of to to set y'all up for 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 this week. Mm-hmm. And this week we're going to be talking about myths. Actually, mm, nice. Um, and but when we evaluate the, the the stories and such, we'll be on the lookout for for that yeah. for that sweet sweet tension. So yeah so myths are a, a according to a quick google yeah. a traditional story especially when concerning the early history of a people or explaining some natural or social phenomenon and typically involving supernatural beings or events um there are a lot more than that obviously um but those are the typical topics and these they follow a lot of pretty standard structures mm-hmm. and and one thing that's really to admire about myths is how Uh, simplified they are now not simple but simplified where they basically just due to the nature of having to be passed down um orally basically only the the like most core elements continue to be passed on over and over again
1: which i mean i think that's that's one of the reasons why myths have lasted as long as they are because they do not gonna say lack but they do not have the amount of complexity as like other stories so It sticks to the bare bones and it's typically most most myths are are all working towards some sort of message, some sort of commentary on the time.
0: Yeah, um, and they usually have some very specific characters and archetypes that come back and over and over again. So what we were thinking that uh, this week, for, for your challenge, in addition to the words, that we would challenge all of you to rewrite a myth that already exists, mm-hmm. so to take a, a myth that already exists and to write it in your own words, not necessarily to change it up too much, but to keep the structure, to keep the characters as much as possible, and to sort of get the feel of what that myth is like mm-hmm. by just rewriting it and uh, another thing that you could do instead is also to write your own myth write something in a style of, of myths in the mythic style I suppose um, either one is a super valid option we Jarvis and I both um, we took a course in our, our creative writing courses and one of the assignments was to rewrite a myth in our own mm-hmm. words and I think we, we both benefited a lot from that particular exercise definitely
1: I mean really it's um, solely about taking something that is very widely known and not only putting your own twist to it, but you're also able to deconstruct it and really understand why people connect to these stories so much and what is really trying to say.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed the process of it. Um, I ended up writing about Tantalus when I did mine.
1: Mm, tantalizing, and
0: um, it really was. Um, but okay, so let's. Uh, so we actually uh, pulled out an old story. We pulled out oh. um, the story of Pandora. Um, this was actually a very short um story because so we're we're going to be trying to pick a story to read every week we're going to announce what the one for next week is at the end of this podcast mm-hmm. so we can um read something out loud you know have something to to build off of as we as we talk about it uh so it, of course we're limited to only public domain stories and um i forget exactly where this one is from let me pull it back up
1: it's from common list common lit my bad by james baldwin
0: 1895 oh 98 oh 1895 yeah right gotcha wait okay so
1: so if a story or concept is within public domain does that mean that you can take it change it very slightly and then go and make
0: money money off of it you don't even have to change it at all okay you could you could literally reprint this this story entirely i mean that's kind of what we're doing right now actually
1: that is true because we are going to make money off of this podcast
0: (laughs) i mean but in a roundabout way yeah yeah definitely like a roundabout way it's not direct we're we are republishing it on in an audio format yeah Mm. so uh thanks james baldwin so very far in the past we are publishing your story again um thank you for your work well all right
1: yeah uh the story we are going to be reading by james baldwin is the story of prometheus and pandora's box
0: That's right. We're going to be reading just the second part, which has to do with Pandora. And um, this part's titled, How Diseases and Cares Came Among Men. Uh So I'm just going to begin right now. Things might have gone on very happily indeed, and the Golden Age might really have come again, had it not been for Jupiter. One day, when he chanced to look down upon the earth, he saw the fires burning and the people living in houses and the flocks feeding upon the hills and the grain ripening in the fields, and this made him very angry. "'Who has done all this?' he asked. And someone answered, "'Prometheus!' "'What?' that young titan," he cried. "'Well, I will punish him in a way that will make him wish I had shut him up in the prison house with his kinfolk. But as for those puny men,' Let them keep their fire i will make them ten times more miserable than they were before they had it of course it would be easy enough to deal with prometheus at any given time and so jupiter was in no great haste about it he made up his mind to distress mankind first and he thought of a plan for doing it in a very strange roundabout way in the first place he ordered his blacksmith vulcan whose forge was in the crater of a burning mountain to take a lump of clay which he gave him and mold it into the form of a woman Vulcan did as he was bidden, and when he finished the image, he carried it up to Jupiter, who was sitting among the clouds with all the mighty folk around him. It was nothing but a mere lifeless body, but the great blacksmith had given it a form more perfect than that of any statue that has ever been made. Come now, said Jupiter, let us all give some goodly gift to this woman, and he began by giving her life. Then the others came in their turn, each with a gift for the marvelous creature. One gave her beauty, Another a pleasant voice, and another good manners, and another a kind heart, and another skill in many arts, and lastly, someone gave her curiosity. Then they called her Pandora, which means the all-gifted, because she had received gifts from them all. Pandora was so beautiful and so wondrously gifted that no one could help loving her. When the mighty folk had admired her for a time, they gave her to Mercury, the flight-footed, and he led her down the mountainside to the to the place where Prometheus and his brother were living and toiling for the good of mankind. He met Epimetheus first and said to him, Epimetheus, here is a beautiful woman whom Jupiter has sent to you to be your wife. Prometheus had often warned his brother to beware of any gift that Jupiter might send, for he knew that the mighty tyrant could not be trusted. But when Epimetheus saw Pandora, how lovely and wise she was, he forgot all warnings, and he took her home to live with him and be his wife. Pandora was very happy in her new home, and even Prometheus, when he saw her, was pleased with her loveliness. She had brought with her a golden casket, which Jupiter had given her at parting, and which he had told her held many precious things, but wise Athena, the queen of the air, had warned her to never, never open it, nor to look at the things inside. They must be jewels, she said to herself, and then she thought of how they would add to her beauty if only she could wear them. "'Why would Jupiter give them to me if I should never use them, "'nor so much as look at them?' she asked. "'The more she thought about the golden casket, "'the more curious she was to see what was inside it, "'and every day she took it down from its shelf and fell of the lid "'and tried to peer inside of it without opening it. "'Why should I care for what Athena told me?' she said at last. "'She is not beautiful, and jewels would be of no use to her. "'I think that I will look at them at any rate.' "'Athena will never know. Nobody else will ever know.' She opened the lid a very little just to peep inside and all at once there was a whirring rustling sound and before she could shut it down again out flew ten thousand strange creatures with death like faces and gaunt and dreadful forms such as nobody in all the world had ever seen. They fluttered for a little while about the room and then flew away to find dwelling places wherever there were homes of men. They were diseases and cares, for up to that kind mankind had not had any kind of sickness, nor felt any troubles of mind, nor worried about what the morrow might bring. These creatures flew into every house, and without anyone seeing them, nestled down into the bosoms of men and women and children, and put an end to all their joy. And ever since that day they have been flitting and creeping, unseen and unheard, over all the land, bringing pain and sorrow and death into every household." If Pandora had not shut down the lid so quickly, things would have gone so much worse. But she closed it just in time to keep the last of the evil creatures from getting out. The name of this creature was Foreboding, and although he was almost half out of the casket, Pandora pushed him back and shut the lid so tight that he could never escape. If he had gone out into the world, men would have known from childhood just what troubles were going to come to them every day of their lives, and they never would have had any joy or hope so long as they lived. And this was the way in which Jupiter sought to make mankind more miserable than they had been before Prometheus had ever befriended them. Okay, so that was uh that was Pandora's box. Mhm. Gods really do suck, don't they? They really do. Um, they're all they're all dicks. Yeah. Every single one of them. Um, so something I just found funny. They just to, before we get into the actual analysis. So Prometheus's older brother, right? It's older brother, mm-hmm. yeah, older brother uh, Epimetheus, right? His uh, Prometheus's name means forethought, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Epimetheus's name means afterthought, right? Oh, so he's I get it. Prometheus looks towards the future. Epimetheus looks towards the past, and and doesn't he, he like tries to learn from it, but like doesn't actually like do much, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's funny because it's like as an afterthought, <laughs> in <laughs> retrospect, opening the box in accepting Pandora was not a good idea, <laughs> but. That's where we are at. So, I, as you may have noticed, the story is a little bit different from the, the version that we normally hear, mm-hmm. which is that the last thing inside the box was, hope. Um, uh, rather than yeah, rather than hope, as we normally uh, hear it, where pandora opens it and 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 lets out hope in spite of all these evils and this one it was foreboding which basically in this the context of this story seems to mean um the loss of innocence Mm -hmm. the the loss of like if foreboding went out then then all children everywhere would be like oh shit when i grow up things are gonna be bad (laughs) (laughs) um and so that that spared them of that at the very least yeah uh
1: and i think something that i like really love about this story is just how much mystery is really surrounded around this box we as a reader do know what's is, what is inside of the box only because we've heard this this story uh, so many times but i think the the part that really shines for me is the speculation of this box and how that is the thing that is important and not necessarily what is within the box proper. Uh, you shouldn't open up things that you don't know exactly what's in there.
0: Yeah, I think another moral of the story is that everything's women's fault, but uh, we can ignore that one. Yeah. For the most well, I part. mean, that's sadly a very common. Thread. It's a pretty common. Yeah. 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 I I don't know how much. Um. But there's um pretty clear parallels between Pandora's box and the the original sin in the Garden of mm-hmm. Eden and stuff. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, I, I think it's almost like one to one. Yeah. So uh, as you may have noticed, there's a lot of like. Um, it, you, you've heard this myth before, and you've heard different versions of it before, mm-hmm. and I think that really shows some of the, the power of oral stories is that each uh, upon each telling, things are subtly changed, and the meaning can be changed a little bit. Like in this one, again, the emphasis is more on foreboding than hope. But, of course, you still keep the same theme about punishing curiosity and punishing not you know following rules yeah. and stuff like that.
1: I mean, really, something that I think about when it comes to how these myths have changed over time is the reason as to why they do change because i'm not really sure what the uh what the original version of this story is but i have noticed that as we get closer and closer to uh current times a lot of the tellings of pandora's box do focus a lot more on hope And I think even uh, there was this more modern one that I read that came out, I think, within this century to where they didn't let hope out and uh, hope Mm -hmm. went all over the uh, world, which was kind of that saving grace to to all of the evil that they did let out. So I don't know. I just kind of wonder as to why these changes have been made. I mean, my personal speculation is that they were made to also change the actual moral to kind of update with the uh, times. Because, of course, in a lot more modern tellings, the moral of that all evil comes from women has been taken (laughs) out uh, completely for good reason.
0: Yeah, like even this one, um, right? She has a bunch of gifts, right? In Mm -hmm. this um, one is beauty, another is a pleasant voice, another good manners, another kind heart, another skill in many arts, and lastly, when someone gave her curiosity, right? Yeah. Um, And so you notice that some of those manners and uh kind heart and skill in many crafts, like, these are all women's traits. Yeah. That's a whole, like, I mean, not supposed to be, but. Well, they're
1: all yeah. subservient traits. They are yeah. They are traits that are very docile.
0: There's no, you know, bravery. Yeah. Or, or strength, um, speed, strength, yeah. none of that. So, so some of those elements are like um, that very clear um, foreshadowing, right? Of don't the you know the whole don't do this, and then she does the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some very strong dramatic irony because not only is is that in the text itself, we also have heard the story before, and we kind of know where it's going as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of a thing that's pretty common with myths is that we. you can really predict where it goes, mm-hmm. and not necessarily in a bad way, where it just everything, it the, the surprises are not shocking. The surprises are just surprises to the character.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which, which honestly, I, I think is uh, the strength of a lot of myths, is that they are so predictable, but they're all going in places that are typically pretty interesting, to where you are willing to stick through what you already know.
0: So I think it's worth... Um trying out writing a myth just so that you can sort of call through those those old paths of, of stories there's something really universal about most myths uh, even across cultures they follow a lot of the same steps a lot of the same um, if not themes then basic patterns mm-hmm. of um, rises and falls of different characters so i i think it's definitely worth a try um especially because you can replicate that sort of story structure and that sort of pattern in your own stories except you can complicate it and make it more modernized and interesting
1: yeah. also i would recommend to those that are writing next week to try and do a bit more uh, research uh i would say if If you were to find a a myth that you haven't even heard of, haven't read before, that would be a really good place to kind of try your hand at that. It's a totally different feeling when it comes to hopping into something very foreign than uh, something that you know very well. So I would definitely recommend to do your research and uh, try out something that you wouldn't normally do.
0: Okay, uh, let's get
1: into the listener stories. Exactly. So... This, as you know, is our listener-submitted story section. We are going to spoil all of the stories that we are about to talk about. So, if you haven't read them, I would pause after we announce them and then come back so we can talk about them with you. And the stories for this week are by Sarah Penguin, No Goodbye, Kamikaze Tomato, Ace of Sword, and Eleanor Hemsworth. Alright, so... Up first is Sarah Penguin with the Spymaster and the Princess Part 19, Bound in Blood.
0: Uh, They also had a uh, second part to it, but uh, it's specifically NSFW, so we are not going to read it uh, as per their request and as per our own request. Thank you. Okay, um, so in this story... It, this is a, this is the marriage scene. This is the marriage scene for our wonderful spy master and the princess. This is what we've been waiting for. Wordplay at the end. That's right. So after their very very long journey, their trials and tribulations, um, they are uh, be- getting getting married finally. We open with the fay in a, a bath, getting basically ritually um, bathed before the ceremony there's a there's a complex thing going on with these priestesses who uh draw lines of animal blood on her and then dress her up in a a, a dress for the ceremony which is a very dramatic thing and I, I i like that um aspect of the culture um then they begin the ritual so she and lily are placed next to each other they are um cut along their arms and then hold hands as the blood mixes together a ribbon tied around the arm and we sort of hear, like, echoes of uh, of other cultures in there as well. Um, and then they exchange uh, vows um, after saying of how they would rather have their ceremony now rather than after the war where it could be bigger because they just wanted to be between them two. Mm-hmm. So they exchange their, their vows, t- telling each other about how they fell in love with each other um, and how they've sort of grown as people um, with each other before finally they They place necklaces around each other, which is very cute in in different way to to show a marriage and then they're married and um they they kiss and Lillian says uh now you're my pr- princess to to the spy master <laughs> and Faye says uh, can't I just be your, your spy master? She says, no, you're both now. You're the spymancer and the princess. It's very, very cute.
1: Mm, yeah. so yeah i I really love this uh entry through and through. I mean, this is definitely one of those moments that uh we've been looking forward to uh, as as soon as the as the connection between these two characters started. And I really do like this world's take on on marriage, how it is this ritualistic ceremony that just really works so so well with the world that is being built up uh, from the very first entry so yeah i just think it's a really great uh culmination of the story um and yeah overall i'm i'm just really uh happy for these characters because because we've been with them for 20 stories now and i think it's so great to actually see these characters progress not not only throughout the story but with each other and i think it was done very well and is very cute so fantastic job
0: yeah um thanks for sticking along with your story for so long sarah penguin all right and
1: up next is by no goodbye with right before your very anxiety induced
0: eyes So this story by No Goodbye is uh, is very anxiety-inducing. So uh, we start off with some very violent imagery, um, like going skydiving only to realize you've forgotten your parachute. Um, And this imagery of of flapping your arms as you're descending, but being totally powerless um, and... It just, I mean, that's already anxiety inducing imagery right there, uh, before we pan out of our character's brain, out of Jack's brain, and we see, uh, that he's in front of a giant crowd, we don't even see the crowd, actually, we don't see the situation at all we just see the feelings of a hundred eyes, um faces in the crowd that he can't make out their expressions they're just eyes on a silhouette um and 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 he's just totally, completely panicking. We're just kind of lost in that panic. Mm-hmm. He can't look at his opponent. He's we, we go from this this vague and menacing image of the crowd to these thoughts of just lo- wanting to die because that that's the only escape from the situation. <laughs> to like very physical feelings of like swallowing and um, it, it's just it, I mean it is definitely incredibly anxiety inducing. Mm-hmm. And how the the worst part, it seems, is that the situation just won't end. They won't. He feels like he's being surrounded by um, hungry vultures and coyotes, but they won't eat him and he won't pass out. Right. Uh, It just won't end no matter what. He's just frozen. And it's it's true. Hell, it sounds like. Um, Finally, at the very end, someone starts leading um, Jack away um, before he throws up and then passes out.
1: (laughs) What a way to go out. I mean, honestly, I relate to this story very much. So, I mean, of of course, we all know that speaking in public is so very difficult. Uh, but for me personally, I have always struggled with a stutter, and I know I've I've had so many moments like like this when it seems that the whole world is definitely uh, against you. And I've even vomited my uh, myself after speaking in, pu- in public because it's so gut-wrenching and there's so much fear within it. So, uh, so I think this is a really great portrayal of all of the feelings and thoughts that are really going through your head um, when you are very nervous about speaking in public. And I think that this is a very honest uh, portrayal. Uh, and on top of that, I think the pacing within this story is very well. It's slowed to the point to where it allows us to really um, understand where where Jack is coming from. And I do like how it how it resides so much within this this main character's head, to where we don't even really know what they are really speaking about, or or who or who they are they, they are speaking to. All we know is that they cannot speak. And I do like how much the story really focuses on that. And it really grounds the uh, story. So really great job. Fantastic story.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, I I got anxious reading this. And uh, so I completely count that as a success. And it sounds like No Goodbye, you were challenging yourself to do that. And I think you did a great job. All
1: right. Next up is by Kamikaze Tomato with Special Potions.
0: Uh, so this is a fun story, and I, I think it's really well constructed. So we have a character here, Bede, who is a adventurer talking to this old merchant who is trying to sell him a potion. Um, and Bede just doesn't... He's already got potions. He's kind of fed up with this. He just wanted to get, um, you know, standard adventuring gear stuff. Um, but this, uh, this, this merchant is just insisting <laughs> and says um and it smells like smells like garlic that's what the potion smells like mm. um uh which is a setup for for later as bead starts leaving the merchant says you will die um and bead is suddenly okay <laughs> well um normally it, it, when you're in an adventure, you come to learn that you should probably listen to casual offhand advice about your demise and that that's usually pretty accurate and uh, so he starts listening, which is a, a great genre-aware thing, but also it's just, like, it feels satisfying to, to have our, that sort of genre-aware um, trope addressed. And the, the merchant ad- uh, addresses how, in, um, or tells a story about how in their ho- homeland there's a the cliff that people jump off of um, where you need special parachutes to, to jump and survive, depending on the time of year, uh, because of all the, the flying creatures and other things. Um, but other people, they go and they jump and they um, think that they know, they think that they're prepared, but they don't actually know what the real danger is. And um, then they end up dying. And uh, uh, it, they, they continue and be asked, okay, so how does this relate to the potions? And the merchant explains um, around the the area, people have been dying. Uh, with holes in their neck, no blood in their body. And we're like, oh, okay, vampires, mm-hmm. obviously. vampire. Except, except for um, this one guy, um, Podalik, who was a garlic farmer. Uh, when he died, there was no bite. And our our main character's like, okay, well, he still died, so it didn't really work. <laughs> but um, Merchant explains it does work because um, his blood wasn't drained. He died of broken bones and stuff. <laughs> um, and you you're an adventurer so you can fight and you don't have to worry about a bite and it just makes a lot of sense um and so the merchant sells the the potion to bead and bead goes on their merry, merry way and the merchant says okay when i see how when i see how you die i make better potion for next adventure <laughs> and bead smiles because it's it's a funny thing it's well done i liked it yeah
1: uh i really liked how distinct the voice of the merchant really is I mean it really it sounded like this sort of broken English to where certain words are a change to really show that maybe this merchant is from a different country right or just from somewhere different where this might not be his uh, his first language and I uh, and I really did like that and it did um Do its job when it came to the dialogue where the main character doesn't really understand what he's saying. But as the merchant goes into this story, the purpose of of what he's saying becomes even more clear as you listen to him. So I think overall this, this story is really well con- constructed. I think the thing that really takes the center stage is the storytelling being done through the dialogue. Uh, and it really pushes the story forward while also giving us a look as to what this world looks like. So I think yeah, it's a uh, really well well written piece, and I really really like reading it. Fantastic job!
0: Yeah, what I like so much um, in addition to the voice is just how neat it feels regarding the uh, the garlic. But I think they're like the connection between the parachutes and the the potion was not like perfect, perfect. Mm-hmm. But obviously that's that's limited by the fact that uh, they had to use the word parachute yeah. in a medieval story. So <laughs> so totally understand that. The way that that part is told, and the whole like reveal about the garlic, I think is is it feels very natural and very just clever. So I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed yeah, that.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Well, all right. Up next is Ace of Sword with Drop. So we have two characters here at a merchant. Our our, our main character Kayla is uh, pretty upset because their their rifle broke. It, they they think that it's the merchant's fault for that. Mm-hmm. So another person go, comes in, a, a hunter who is all, you know, dark and mysterious mm. looking. And uh, we get a little bit of, of, of world building here. They, that they are hunters. They deal with mostly vermin, but we understand that they're probably like monster vermin of some sort. The, the hunter kind of helps out Kayla in, in this by when the, the, the merchant tries to sell a um, new, new gun, a new fancy pepper box gun. The hunter helps out Kayla by saying that it's, it's totally broken. It's, it's uh, the merchant's fault that the gun broke sort of making it almost like a, like a wager out of it, but intimidates the merchant into accepting that it's his fault, even though it, he doesn't think it is because uh, the the hunter has eaten some garlic and is just making the whole encounter uh, very unpleasant <laughs> by by leaning in and it's sort of being intimidating that way um, until finally the the merchant gives in and they walk out together with uh with Kayla having uh the new gun so the the hunter helped them out and they seem like they're gonna they're gonna team up afterwards mm-hmm. exactly so yeah I uh really did like
1: this I think that it was nice uh, given the previous entries that we got to see. A lot more of just like the logistics of what it means to be a monster hunter in this world. Uh, Also, I I like the introduction of this new character. Uh, It definitely brings a, a different dynamic to the story than what we've seen previously. Uh, and yeah i'm i'm definitely looking forward to a, another entry seeing uh, if they do team up and uh, what this uh, what this new gun does do so yeah really really great job uh, i think that the uh, dialogue was was used very nicely and then overall it was just telling a really nice entry so great job
0: yeah, um, there was a little bit where um, I felt like the relationship between our the those two main characters could have been expanded a little mm-hmm. bit more. There was they sort of seemed to like talk next to each other rather than directly at each yeah. other uh, while they were in the scene. So that's one thing that I, I would advise improving just a little bit, uh, or maybe adding it a little bit more about um, just a little bit more interaction between the two. But otherwise, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the interaction between the hunter and the the merchant.
1: And our final story for this week is by. Eleanor Hemsworth with a
0: untitled story yep um so this story is uh it's it's good so it's it's not a it's not a straight up NSFW but it definitely has some some romantic tension mm-hmm. there our main character laura uh is going to a, a fancy dinner there's an interesting sort of um narration here that's sort of uh first person um a stream of consciousness mm-hmm. and uh, at the restaurant waiting for her is her date uh, camilla Um, which we can kind of surmise as a reference to Carmilla, the the vampire. The OG. That Carmilla is a vampire is mostly teased um, over time, but it's it's sort of implied from the beginning where she's uh, tall, striking, uh, dark, stunning, a merchant of little death, which is, uh, (laughs) it's amusing. So uh, they start having a dinner uh, and this has continued to be told just in that stream of consciousness. There's no straight up dialogue and Laura just keeps sort of, um staring at camilla and not even noticing what's being said and sort of like zoning out entirely and just focusing on it's really interesting because we 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 focus on um that imagery and and those feelings and the thoughts and then we kind of get snapped out of it for a second when we notice um camilla like touching her hand under the table or or other things like that and so um, they sort of uh, communicate a little bit, and we see that Laura is, like, really getting, you know, messed up, um, like, emotionally, get heart rate going up. And uh, the way that Camilla's is described, it's very much obvious that she's uh, feeling a lot of, um, of feelings, right? Uh-huh. Um, uh, at one point, Camilla is eating red meat, and there's a drop of blood on her lips, staining her teeth, and she keeps talking. Then um, Laura gets sort of uh, lost in her thoughts, and until she gets snapped back, and then they have dessert, and uh, her her thoughts sort of trail off until uh, Camilla sort of breaks into her her dialogue sort of sort of breaks into the narration itself, which really gets you to feel that like, wow, her dialogue is sort of taking over Laura's thoughts entirely mm-hmm. because she's totally focused. Um, it's I, I think that's actually really well done where she's like the narration itself goes. No, look at me, Laura. Hey, look at me. It's OK. No one's here to judge you. Not in this city. Uh, certainly not in this restaurant. Just look at me, cutie. Take a breath. Take a breath. I'm right here. I'm going to keep you safe. Just look in my eyes. Do you want to get out of here? And then they get out of there um, <laughs> and they, they go back to uh, another place she, she has some garlic with her food, with the implication that that makes the transformation a little bit less horrible. And then Camilla, you know, um, rips into her and turns her into a vampire. And we flash forward to three weeks later when they come back to the restaurant. And uh, this time she's a little bit more confident and she has um, a different drink than before. And uh, they decide to work their way up to dessert so um a really uh emotionally romantically intense story <laughs> very there
1: is there is a lot of uh, romantic tension uh throughout this story and i think really the one of the biggest reasons why it's so prominent is really because of the way that the story is being told um through this perspective that's very that's very as you said uh, a train of thought Uh, And I think it really works very well when uh, the gaze of Kamala really does basically enter into that narration and is done very well. I really like what this story is doing um, and I like how it is really subverting what I thought this story would be going in, and how it is a lot more sweet and a lot more sentimental, in a sense, along with very lustful. I just really, really liked it, and I think that the reason is because of how this story is being told.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I really liked about it is how uh, Laura going in, it's really clear that she actually does like Camilla a lot, Um, And it's very interested in her. And then as this sort of uh, trance sort of thing uh, happens, she's still, like, she's definitely, like, not being as aware and definitely sort of falling under the spell. But it's a spell that she sort of chose to be under. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, sort of idea of, like, giving into a temptation that you are also consciously choosing to give into. So,
1: yeah definitely definitely well all right that is it for the stories for this week but uh we would like to go ahead and say thank you to everyone who did submit so thank you very much to sarah penguin ace of sword no goodbye kamikaze tornado and thank you to eleanor hemsworth and also, we would like to say thank you to everyone who did leave a comment. Leaving a, leaving a comment not only helps you give give someone else feedback, but also it will upgrade ability to critique someone else's work. So, thank you very much to Sithro, Ace of Sword, No Goodbye, and Sarah Penguin. Thank you so much for leaving comments. You are fantastic. Thanks so much. If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to Do the Right Thing, You can do that by going to Reddit at slash r slash do the right thing, picking whatever week you want to write for and using three of four words from that week in a short story.
0: Uh, That's right. Uh, You just got to sit down for 30 minutes and write all the way through. Just just get it going. Uh, We know we have a lot of listeners that don't write every week and we totally understand uh we really i mean we really get that but um consider you know if you have any free time at all it's only 30 minutes it actually does not take as much mental energy as you would think i mean part of the reason that we don't is because we you know since we're reading it on the podcast we feel that we kind of have to put in more attention than than just those 30 but it's it's really not that much time and then you become a writer right there you have a whole short story completed so uh, i highly recommend it if you want to see the words as soon as they come out the best way to do that would be fo- to follow us on twitter which is at right uh you can also send us an email to just tell us what's up to to tell us off to, to give <laughs> us a fun fact you had anything you want um at our email right at gmail.com mm-hmm.
1: and if you want to support us and and everything going on in doof media you can do that by going to our doof media patreon all you have to do is donate a dollar or more per month and you will get access to the Doof Media Discord where we talk about all things podcast.
0: That's right. We uh, also offer some other uh, levels of, of donation levels. Uh, at the $5 level, you get access to our Doofin Chill sessions, uh, one of which was our, our last month we had a group um, session of mm-hmm. Among Us. So you can actually go back and watch that. It's a lot of fun um it was all uh, everyone but matt because matt had a, an infection in his eye i think he might still actually i think he does um, but but jarvis and me and and clarence and elliot and ruben and scott we all played together and it was a lot of fun um there was some really fun moments in there too <laughs> um and now also i went back and played it again it's not as fun without a group out loud yeah
1: i, I it wasn't as good i so. mean it like really isn't because uh everyone's in chat and whoever yells that oh it's blue uh, they all start voting blue without any sort yeah. of support.
0: It's just, it's too slow to communicate all the information you want to communicate mm-hmm. just by text. But anyway, um, and uh, this month we're going to be doing some spooky stories. Ooh. So I'm very excited about mm-hmm. that. So um, that's the, the 24th is uh, the Doof and Chill for this mm. month. I cannot wait. Hey, Matthias, what else is going on in Doof Media right now? I'm so glad you asked. Well, one one big thing, Jarvis, is that... Uh, there was a podcast that just completed this Whoa, week.
1: Whoa! What's the name of that podcast? What's going on?
0: Yeah, so uh, decomposing worm ended. That's that's my other podcast that, that I did with Clarence. That I did past tense, uh, where we covered worm in um, some six three hundred thousand ish word chunks. It ended up being 14 and a half episodes ish, um, more or less. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, yeah, we we finished it. It's kind of it's kind of wild, and uh, we uh, we announced what's come what's coming yeah. after. So. If you want to hear what uh, Clarence and I are going to be doing after, uh, it, not not right away, at least uh, probably at least a month. I don't know how much longer than that. It could be a lot mm-hmm. longer. It could be less. But uh, it'll be a while before we we before we come back. But um, yeah. If you wanna if you wanna find out. Uh, what we did there, you can go listen to the end of um, that last Perspectives episode, or another place where we teased it is um, the most recent episode of Pale Reflections, where they, where we, um, Clarence and I guested on Pale Reflections, reflecting on Arc Four, leaving a mark, which is a really fun discussion, and I'm so glad that Pale, um, that Clarence was able to enjoy Pale and finally get a taste of another Wildbow work. So that's really
1: nice, cool. nice. Yeah. How's it feel to finish a podcast, not stop m- making it, but finish
0: yeah it's really weird it hasn't fully sunk in that i won't be you know writing another script in two weeks so <laughs> um yeah i'm still kind of kind of feeling g- complete and the fact that i can be like oh yeah i finished this is the podcast that i completed it's kind of yeah wild. that is crazy wow wow oh wow we can move we can move the move the tab that it's under now on the website because we have a current podcast and old podcast finished podcast mm. and now it can go there
1: well, I'm so happy for you. Con- congratulations on f- finishing that. Thank I know you. I know, it took so much work.
0: <laughs> and uh, what else would you say is going on in, in Doof? Well, like I said, we guested on Pale Reflections, but there's always so many other things going on. You can check out mm, What You Say, which is uh, a wonderful uh, podcast with uh, Scott and Elise Daly where they talk about their life a bit, and they also to gossip about uh, the episode The O.C. Um, or not the episode, the show, the, <laughs> the soap opera. Um, and no you don't have to watch uh, the oc to enjoy that you just have to enjoy uh, gossip and it's a lot of fun so big recommendation nice nice well all right i think it's
1: time to get into next week's words along with what story we will be reading
0: next week The challenge next week, of course, is to write a myth, but we are going to announce what the story we're going to read is. So in case you want to read it ahead of time, but just to keep in mind, that story is not a myth. It's actually going to be representative of the challenge that we're going to be doing the week after next week. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to announce it now because we don't want to be confusing. So, um, yeah. So make sure you write a myth next week if you would like to participate in this extra challenge. Either rewrite one or write a a new story in your own style. Mm Mm-hmm. And
1: on next week, we will be talking about a first-person perspective story. Basically, just uh, using first 1st person uh, as a, a caveat as to tell your story. Uh, and the story we will be reading is by Mark Twain, which is a short story named Luck. That's right. And
0: it's in the public domain, mm-hmm. so we don't have to pay for
1: it. mundo? And on top of that, the words for next week are,
0: rotten, barrel, tick, and mouse. Okay, so rotten as in a apple that has uh, mm. that has that has decomposed a bit and become rotten, and uh, or someone that is rotten to the core. Um, <laughs> you know, a rotten kid. Otherwise, something just very negative and decrepit and gross, um, decomposing, and yes gross A uh, barrel as in a sort of cylinder of some sort <laughs> uh, with an open top so they could be a wine barrel but it could also be the barrel of a gun oil um, barrel plenty of options there yeah. oil barrel um and then a tick as in uh you could make it uh like the animal that sucks mm-hmm. blood and gives you um Lyme disease <laughs> or you could uh do a tick as in like tick tock mm-hmm. as in like uh the time noise the time yep yeah, time noise clock noise or
1: the blue superhero
0: You could also do the blue superhero, the tick. (laughs) Um, And lastly, mouse, which is like the animal, a mouse. Or you could be someone is mousy or otherwise Mm mouse-like in different ways. So it's going to be interesting here. We have two animals, so you're going to be using at least one of them in your myth. Um, And uh, so there's probably different ways that you can do that. You can either just like include it in... Uh, as a character description, or you can include it as an animal. You you know, you could change some of the characters into these animals if you wanted to, one or the other, or both. Um, Yeah, plenty of options. Mm -hmm. So many. So,
1: Matthias, what story are you going to be writing next week?
0: So, uh, I'm going to be writing a story about a mighty mouse. Mm. um, Son of of the lightning mouse (laughs) in, in the sky. So, mighty mouse... Um, was, was born in part God mouse, part, um, mouse, mouse, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but, um, had a, a wicked rotten stepmother, um, or st- is sort of, is, is Hera a stepmother? I think she is kind of, yeah sort of half, half, half stepmother, <laughs> half step God, her godmother, Um, And uh, this rotten This rotten god mouse mother uh, Wanted him dead Because uh, she hated mighty mouse So much And so um, uh, Made mighty mouse Go on a series of quests Or uh, She was going to put him In a barrel And throw him off a cliff That's the consequence that (laughs) she set out For not doing these labors and so Mighty Mouse went out on a quest, um, but had a, a cheerful sidekick going along with him—a tick the, who's was like a satyr, and he's really funny, and he's voiced by Danny DeVito. <laughs> and um, went out and did some some fights and like killed a cat and Wart's pelt, which was really like way too big, but it's fine. And uh, did did a lot of stuff, that mouse. <laughs>
1: Wow, that, that sounds like a fantastic Disney Channel original movie. Thank you. I love it. Um, so my story next week is going to be about the tick that just doesn't go away. And this story will follow a, a little boy named Thomas. Now, you see, Thomas is a adventurer. He loves going camping, being out in the wilderness, and swimming in rancid looking lakes but one day when he, when he left one of these lakes there was a tick stuck to his arm well he thought nothing of it and he simply pulled that tick off and threw it but the tick followed him and reattached itself to his arm while he was sleeping when he woke up a a good portion about 3 inches of his left arm has rotted away <laughs> Oh no, because the tick is just infatuated with this with this young boy's blood, so the boy tried everything he tried drowning the a tick in a large barrel of of water. He tried burning this this tick off to only burn himself in the process. He even went over to his friend Jeremy and asked if his pet mouse. Could bite the fucking tick off, and when this mouse bit that tick, the mouse ended up dying because this tick was not going away. So years passed, decades even, and this tick was still stuck to Thomas to the point to where his entire left left arm was a rot was a rotten, pussy, black gorge. Of, of what was once a beautiful young arm. <laughs> and so Thomas ended up saying, you know what? I don't need a left arm that can do nothing. And on one drunken night, he took a axe to it. Only to wake up the next day missing one arm. But having a strange tick attached to his left foot
0: fuck <laughs> that's it he used the axe on the the tick but i suppose he just uh he didn't know what to do i mean like he didn't know
1: i mean like if your arm was was completely rotten and it smelled horrible wouldn't you just want to get rid of all of it
0: i would just put the entire thing tick included into a fire
1: okay so you would just burn it off the, the whole thing
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I think that would be the right thing to do. It would be the right thing to do. I'm gonna go sleep on the floor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>